Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. All right, turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. And I, uh, Derek said, go with sure, but we bought Sennheisers, so every time. Anyway, I, uh, I want to jump into a story here that we're probably familiar with, but we're going to come in on the tail end. And how many of you guys have heard the when Jesus feeds the 4,000? You've heard when Jesus feeds the 5,000. You've heard messages on the 4,000. You know, usually if somebody has to pick one to preach out of, they're going to pick the bigger miracle. And so it's like, well, the 5,000 is cool because he does more with less. Uh, but what's interesting is Jesus does it again. And when he does it again, the, the story sort of fades and transitions into another uh, little kind of miniature in-between thing. And, and that's what I want, that's what I felt like the Lord was drawing our attention to today. So in order to get there, I want to just give you a little bit of context. Mark chapter 8, so there's, um, there's a, a crowd on a hill. Jesus was teaching. They had nothing to eat. And uh, they've been there listening to him for three days. And some of y'all feel like a two-hour service is a long time. And I just want to throw it out there. Jesus was preaching for three days, okay? And so I'm sure there were bathroom breaks and stuff, but you know what I'm saying. They're all out there. And the Bible says that he, Jesus says that he has compassion on the people. And I love this because I think sometimes we, we take a thing like compassion and we either, we either let it lead us or we totally shun it as a characteristic of the flesh. And we say, well, unless the Lord tells me to do something. And, and sometimes some of us read the Gospels and we see Jesus saying, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it, right? And we take that down to such a literal point that we'll, we'll say, well, if somebody asks us to do something, we'll say, I have to pray about it. And the Lord has to show up like in Morgan Freeman like version with a white suit on and say, you have to do this in order for, to get me to actually do it. And uh, so we're like, well, Jesus didn't do anything that the Father didn't tell him to do. So if the Father doesn't come down and tell me to do it. And so we're waiting for something like that. And we, we're at, we actually ironically talked about fleeces last week. Um, but in this case, I, I love that Jesus, he doesn't have to go back. He doesn't say, you know what, uh, these people are hungry. They've been listening to me. Let me go find out if it's okay with God if we feed them. He was moved with compassion. Now, because he was without sin, because he was walking 100% in the spirit, 100% of the time, what we find out is that our compassion, whether you've identified it or characterized it or categorized it with the flesh or not, our compassion can be sanctified and it can be employed or deployed by the spirit of God. And when we're moved with compassion to do things for him, he actually says, if people leave now, they're going to faint on the way home. And so what does he do? He says, well, what do we have? And they bring seven loaves to him. And he takes the loaves, he blesses the loaves, breaks the loaves, and feeds 4,000 people with seven large baskets full of pieces afterward. That's our God. There was some fish that came into the, into the play too here on the menu. You can read the rest of the story there if you want. But I love, that, um, I love that Jesus is moved by compassion. And I feel like in this day and age, compassion, I think oftentimes it, it, it's provoked more by the flesh. We have compassion, but it's really guilt. 
you know, oh, I should probably give to this charity and, or I should probably do this thing or I should probably give away that or we have too much, whatever it is. And so we call it compassion, but it's really guilt. Compassion uh, in this case, and I want you to pay attention here uh, to what's happening. Compassion in this story, it actually empowers people to keep receiving. It sustains people's ability to continue to, to receive revelation from the Lord. And I think that's what compassion is really about. I think that compassion, whether it's supporting a kid overseas or, you know, whatever it is, we can do all the right things for the wrong reasons. At the end of the day, we've got to come back to making sure that that thing is moved by the Spirit of God. Amen? So he takes the food and he breaks it. Everybody gets fed. And afterward, they pick up seven large baskets full of what was left over the broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there, it says in verse 9, and he sent them away, and immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. If anybody thinks Jesus wasn't in a hurry, read the book of Mark, all right? Every other line in Mark is immediately, 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 and Jesus did this immediately, and then immediately he and the disciples went here. Everything's in a hurry for some reason. I love it. It makes me feel good living in New England. So... Immediately, he and his disciples, they enter a boat, and they come to the district of Dalmanutha. Verse 11 says, the Pharisees came out. A gang, a motley crew of Pharisees come out, and they begin arguing with him, speaking, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit. Some of us sigh in the flesh, but Jesus sighed in his spirit right here. And he says this. He says, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. The other side. When I'm reading this, I'm thinking, all right, so the Pharisees come up asking for a sign and Jesus rejects them. Canceled. He's out of there. Gets back in the boat and goes back across to the other side. But I think he gets out in other places. He gets off the dock and here comes, you know, people saying, you know, there's a demoniac uh, on, on our island and, and, and here comes the guy full of demons, comes running out and Jesus performs signs and wonders. Here comes a woman with the issue of blood and a man with a daughter that's about to die and, and, and here's a blind man saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and we see him interacting with those people and performing those miracles. So what's the difference when the Pharisees come asking for a sign, Jesus, you could have proven yourself right there. Well, that was the point. That's the difference. Lord, why did you say to some, sure, be healed in Jesus' name, blind eyes be open, uh, lame, walk in Jesus' name. He wasn't saying in Jesus' name, but you get what I'm saying here. And at the end of the day, here come the Pharisees. Why not just do it? Do the sign, whatever it is. And I think that there's something important that we've got to understand here, and that's that when people come asking for a miracle, they're asking out of desperation for something that they need. When the Pharisees come asking for a sign, they're projecting it on Jesus as something he needs to do. Prove yourself. If it's really you, prove yourself. Well, Zach, how's that different than Gideon's fleece? Because Gideon needed it still for himself. He said, I know you're going to deliver Israel, but remember that line? He says, but if you're going to use me, here's the fleece. 
I believe there's a huge difference today between people that will come to the Lord desperate, hungry, thirsting after righteousness and say, Lord, I need you to move in this place. I need you to, to move a mountain or to part a sea. I need you to heal something. I need you to restore something. And when it comes out of desperation versus this thing that, that comes haughtily, pridefully, pharisaically, religiously, and says, if it's really you, prove it. He says to this generation, he's talking to a spiritual generation here, not an age group of people, to this spiritual generation, you won't receive a sign. You know why? Because he had nothing to prove. What if we lived that way? What if we had nothing to prove? I wonder if our social media accounts would look a little different. I wonder if our posts would look a little different. I wonder if, if what if everything that was projected from our lives reflected the humility of Jesus instead of the pride of life? I think the church would be changing the world if that was the case. So, they get back in the boat. Jesus says, y'all aren't going to get anything. And I'll just say this. The Lord's taught me over the years to, to be excited about something different. And what it is is this. First of all, in my line of work, which I don't know if y'all know this or not, I, I pastor this church. And um, so I've been doing this for, I don't know, 37, 38 years now. And um, what, what has happened is people come in and there's this sort of like, there's this like gravitational pull to come and tell me or Ashley or Pastor John or one of the elders um, to come and tell us uh, everything you're doing and everything you've done. Well, I've run this ministry and I taught this class and I went on these missions trips and we went over here and we did this and I prophesied this and I had this happen and this and this is. And it's, it's very like, you know, it's all with the right heart because the heart is like, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm open, coach, put me in. But what's crazy is that over the years, the father started to, to tweak me a little bit to, to listen beyond those things and ask this question, okay, I hear what you're up to, but what's the father doing? What's the father up to? So much so that I want to know, like, why did the father bring you here? And if it wasn't him, who was it? And why are you here? I want to know what the father's up to. And I wonder if those Pharisees in their day, if they would have been less excited to back Jesus into a corner and get him to perform a sign so that and he trying to prove himself, they would use it against him because they do it every single time. Oh, you're going to heal somebody? Yeah, well, you did it on the Sabbath. So you're still wrong. What if our excitement factor was this? Jesus, you just got out of a boat coming from somewhere. What were you doing? What happened? What? How many people got fed? How many loaves did you use? What if we started to seek out what it is that God's up to in each other's lives? I think that who we would be drawn to would be drastically different. Because in, in, in the world's uh, economy, we end, up, we end up feeling pulled and drawn towards the people that present as having it all together. The ones who are all set. The irony of that is, is that sometimes the ones who are all set, the ones whose everything looks perfect, they're the ones who are the farthest from what the Father's actually doing. Because they're all set, they don't need it. 
But then you find somebody whose life is in shambles. You, you come across somebody whose everything's falling apart at the seams, but they're so tapped in to what's going on in heaven and in spiritual places. Why? Because they're desperate and they need it. And I find myself drawn to those folks, and I'm like, yeah, tell me more. Not because it makes me feel better about my life, but because I'm obsessed with hearing the work of the Lord. Who got fed? How many were on the hill? Whose eyes got opened? I don't need you to do anything for me. I don't need you to do a ministry here. I don't need you to come in here and present to me all the high gloss cardstock printouts that you've had of everything that you've ever done. I want to know what God's doing. And you do too. This isn't about people. It's about the Father. I know that comes across a little harsh. But if we can get our eyes locked on him, everything that people need comes into place. Amen? Good. So let's keep going. Because I didn't even get to the message yet. This is just like, the, this is the prologue. All right, watch this. So he gets in the boat. He comes out on the other side. And watch this in verse 14. This is like, this is classic disciples, okay? Classic textbook disciples. And they had forgotten to take bread. <laughs> Again. Now, just a little bit ago, Jesus had fed 5,000 people with one kid's Lunchable. And then, and then here they are, three days on the mountaintop, 4,000 hungry people, seven loaves of bread, okay? It reminds me of something that happened here in Swansea back this last Easter. I don't know how in the world enough bread. Anyway, it was awesome. So they forget to take the bread, and they didn't have more than one loaf in the boat with them, and he was giving orders to them. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they begin to discuss with one another. They weren't discussing the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They begin to discuss with one another what? The fact that they had no bread. Classic, classic, epically classic disciples. How is it? How is it that they come down from the mountain with seven large baskets overflowing with bread? And between there and this one stop interacting with the Pharisees and Jesus is like, not here, let's keep going. Back in, they end up with one loaf between all of them. Why? Because just like us today, the followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago had a problem. And that problem is very familiar. It's what we have the most of is often what we value the least. What we have the most of is what we value the least. And throughout history, in times of revival and awakening, saints, the people of God will get fat on his glory but never bother learning how we can save it, protect it, and store it up. How we can keep it, how we can maintain it, how we can steward it in such a way that it's not just a flash in the pan. And so throughout history, Pastor John said it this morning. I hope you were listening. The new thing is he brings the high places low and the low places up, right? Because forever we have been on this roller coaster ride of living paycheck to paycheck in the spirit. We go from feast to famine, feast to famine, feast to famine. 
from getting fat on his glory and his presence and his works and his signs and his wonders to nearly starving to death in the spirit. How can it be? Well, Joseph teaches us all the way back when Pharaoh had the dream, Pharaoh, Pharaoh and Harrow. I'm getting two political figures in the Bible mixed up. Pharaoh, Pharaoh. When Pharaoh had a dream, seven fat cows and seven emaciated ones, and and Joseph interprets it and says, we're going to have seven years of feast and then seven years of famine. And if we're going to get this nation to survive through this, we've got to learn the art of storing up. Saints, today, our countermeasure to the dearth of the word of the Lord, our countermeasure to a famine in the spirit is the same as it always was, storing up. Now, manna in the wilderness, manna went bad if you tried to store it up, remember? Because it was new every morning, fresh every day, and the Lord didn't want you to store it up until it was times of rest, as Holly reminded me. Thank you. It would grow mold if you tried to keep it for more than the 24 hours it was good for, but the glory of God does not have an expiration date on it, and we are living in a dispensation and under a covenant right now that when we experience an outpouring of God, that thing, whatever we take to ourselves, if it doesn't become this thing that we just uh, become gluttons of, if we can bring the high places low, if we can take those mountaintop experiences and bring them with us, it will make our valleys a lot less deep. It'll make our hungry days a lot less hungry. And we'll be able to live off of what he shows us, the revelation of God. I remember years ago, the church was maybe two years old, and one of our elders, Randy Partini, started to talk about how we weren't valuing the, prof- the prophetic in the church enough in the sense that, sure, people come down and, and can line up with prophetic words. Hey, the Lord showed me this. God said this. I read this in the word. I had this dream. I had this vision. But unless we're willing to take those things and store them up, deposit them in spiritual accounts where they're actually earning interest for us and, and the significance of them becomes greater as time goes on, that is the art of prophecy, that they become greater as they become fulfilled. And so I'm just like, wow, that sounded really spiritual. High five. Wow, that really moved me. Wow, I got goosebumps. Wow, I got fat off that. Great. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens when things get hard. Guys, we're living in a day and an age right now when we cannot afford to not bring with us the glory down the mountain. Amen? One clap. I got one clap. Either that or you just slap somebody. Somebody just slap somebody over there. Whoops. You don't have to clap for me. I just, I, I, I want us to understand uh, the severity of this. And I want it to be sobering for us because there are folks in this room who have lived through incredible seasons and times of revival and awakening. Some of you guys, you, you, you got radically transformed during the charismatic Catholic renewal. Some of you guys uh, in, the, in the latter rain movement of the 80s, the Lord did something and brought about gifts and, and, and abilities and calls to ministry. Some of you, you, you went to these central hubs in the 90s of Brownsville in Pensacola or, or of the Toronto outpouring or different places where God was doing crazy things, the West Coast, wherever it was. And tragically, 
So many people, millions went through Brownsville in five years. Four million people went through Brownsville in five years. And I want to I get them all in a room and say, what do you have to show for it? The Lord saw fit by his grace to bring you into one of the most incredible outpourings in, in our life's history. What do we have to show for it? Did you store it up? Did you put it away in a safe place? Or did you just keep scrolling past it to the next thing? What's he saying next? What's he doing next? Without ever really absorbing the nutrients and the sustenance, without ever bringing with you one loaf. So while they're discussing the bread status, Jesus was giving orders. And he says, I'll say it again, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What he's talking about here, guys, he's, he's talking about two governments. Herod, a, uh, a representative of the Roman Empire, ruler over this district, represents the governments of this world, not unlike they are today. The Pharisees represent another government, the religious government. But these two governments um, were both on the scene and somehow they were coexisting simultaneously, which should be a red flag for us because we all have been in this church long enough to know that we cannot coexist. That, that there's something in us that cannot be reconciled with the brokenness of this world without the blood of Jesus. Two governments. So for all intents and purposes for this morning, a government is a system of social, economic, and political control. Everybody say control. Employed to maintain order by forming and enforcing policy. Some of you guys are government experts. Some of you guys just watch a lot of Fox News. <laughs> but whatever it is, but whatever it is, we know we have legislative, executive, and judiciary branches, and we know that it pretty much all revolves around lawmaking, law executing, and then judging when those laws are broken. And in the same way, so world government, it's pretty easy, right? It's, it just, it's the way the world works, okay? It's built on flesh, the constructs of man. It's built on common sense, things like fear, control, strength. He who has the most guns, he who has the biggest army. It's, it's the game of risk. It's, it's all of the, and by the way, it is common sense. It does make sense. Going back to Thomas Paine's little article there, the, the taxation without representation, common sense. Build, we, we build governments on our idea of justice and fair. Religious governments are a little trickier. Why? Because they're a combination of worldly government, worldly systems, but also of certain manipulations and perversions of godly principles. So they take, they take the word of God, they'll take the law, they'll take things that have been said. And it's not just old school pharisaical legalism. 
People right now are religious about being not religious. They're legalistic about not being legalistic. And I'm like sick of that crap. I'm done with that. Like, if you're going to be like that, just find another church. I'm going to tell you right now. Free pass. I'll give you $200 to never come back. But what Jesus is pointing out, and I, can, I could do a 20-part series on government. But what Jesus is teaching is he's saying, beware and watch out. Because he's not talking to a boat full of people who are ready to adhere themselves and sign up for worldly or religious governments. No, he's talking to people like us who inadvertently, by default, by flesh, we end up drawing on a little bit of the world government here or pulling one principle from the religious system over here and incorporating these things into our life and building for ourselves something that, yes, it looks a lot like God, but it also makes sense to the broken nature within us that needs to reconcile things. World governments are always trying to pull something away from our faith, and religious governments are always trying to add something to it. Beware, watch out, a little bit of leaven. If you remember the parabolic teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels, a little bit of leaven, it affects the whole loaf. Well, now Jesus is answering both questions. He's talking about their bread problem, and he's talking about the government issue. And we realize going all the way back to the prophets of old that what? There is but one government that will stand. And that government will rest on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So why then is it that we're so quick to either put the government on, on somebody else's shoulders, some other politician, some other hope, some other source, some other promise? Or what we're really good at taking it on our own. I was with a group of pastors, um, awesome, awesome men and women of God, ministers in New England, and um, in an upper room in downtown this last week, and just some of my best friends in pastoring churches in this area and have been for years and have gone through the highs and lows of it all, and um, we, we were just together to pray and to hear the Lord, and I sensed... Um, I sensed this idea that there was somebody carrying a burden for government, which is weird because it didn't have anything to do with this, but um, like church government, specifically in their church, like in terms of their eldership and their, their, the politics within their, their church leadership. And, um, and we ended up moving into this time of prayer, and there was a few of them, guys who I could just see the weight of church government on their shoulders. And I'm like, there's only one set of shoulders big enough to carry the government of the bride of Jesus, and that is Jesus himself. And so that's why you don't hear us talking a lot about government here. <laughs> that's why we don't have an annual business meeting. <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. And the day that we do, I hope nobody shows up because I won't be there, okay? I won't be there because the government's on his shoulders. We have an awesome group of elders here, an incredible team of leaders here, and we haven't wasted one minute in 11 years worrying about a vote because we don't vote. 
We just bring it to the Lord. What's the Father doing? So Jesus says to them, discerning that they are, in fact, not talking about what he's teaching them, but that they're talking about bread, and he does what only Jesus can do, and he speaks to both problems. Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Thank you, John. Do you not yet see or understand? Do you not yet, do you, do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 five minutes ago? He doesn't say five minutes ago, I added that. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they're like, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? You see, when we fail to bring with us, when we leave hungry, see, Jesus says it going up to the beginning. He said, if I send them away now, they'll faint on the way home. When we leave Jesus without the sustenance to carry us into the next season, we'll faint. Well, the disciples leave that time on the, on the mountaintop. They leave that teaching. They leave that revelation. And they didn't bring with them. They weren't good enough stewards of what it was that the Lord had supernaturally provided. And so they're in a situation where they're starting to resort to other systems, other governments. They're deciding amongst themselves, who's going to get the bread? Well, who brought the bread? Well, that's who should decide it. Well, if we break the bread, who's going to get the bigger piece? And how's this going to work? This isn't enough bread to feed 12 grown men. And what about Jesus? Well, Jesus lasted 40 days without anything. He's fine. Guys, the Lord is saying that in these times of desperation, that's how we have arrived at a church in America in 2022. That's how we've arrived at a church that is so eager to latch on, to reach out, and to grasp for systems, to politics, to ethics, to, to, to social um, justice issues, and whatever else we can find to, to bolster ourselves up and hold ourselves up. Those were never meant for us. We're reaching to things that are either pulling apart the kingdom of heaven or that keep trying to add things to it. Well, what does it look like to add things to it? It looks like things like, like correction, punishment, discipline, wealth, uh, all these different topics that we feel like we don't get a, a clear enough answer from God on. And so we say, well, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. The world's got this figured out. Let's just do it their way. And so our missions and evangelism in so much of the church today has turned into the, the marketing and advertising campaigns of, of the corporate arena. And so much of even the spiritual, like real deep mystical stuff that we do as, as the church, when we tap into the Holy Spirit, we, we still end up finding ourselves drawn into these religious alleys and avenues where we're distracted from the point and we're going after some sign angel feathers and gold dust, something to prove what Jesus never had any problem not proving. Why are we seeking these things? Because we didn't bring enough bread with us. 
because we didn't value the last thing he said enough. Because we stood under the waterfall and got fat. We drank from the fire hydrant and got full. And now we're fainting in the wilderness. But Jesus gives us the answer right here. He says, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Let's stand to our feet. Don't you remember? You remember how this works, right? You've got the bread in your hand. You remember what I did both times? I took the bread, I blessed it, and I broke it. Now we're going to learn something about heaven's government. Now we're going to learn something about the mantle of government that rested on the shoulders of Jesus. We don't see multiplication. We don't see sustenance until we surrender ourselves to the blessing and the breaking. The blessing and the breaking. Some of y'all, you, like, you, you hear the word blessing and you're like, I'm running, I'm running. Some of y'all came here this morning hoping that this was going to be a come and get your blessing kind of service. This is a come and be broken kind of service. Come and let the Lord break off of you all the other systems, all the stuff of this world, all the stuff that the church has put on us, sometimes with really good intentions. The church puts on all this extra stuff, adding to the simplicity of who Jesus was. Come and take me upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if the church has put something heavy on you, saints, it is not from the Lord. If there's some religious oppression or some legalistic um, uh, chain that has you bound up, some way that, that somebody told you to walk in it and it's not easy, that is not the way. Well, Jesus' way wasn't easy. Actually, every time Jesus came back to the Father, he just kept reiterating to him what the plan was. You're going to die. Even when Jesus is kind of asking for another way. Blessing and breaking. Blessing and breaking. Blessing and breaking. Jesus could have blessed the bread and not broken it. And if that bread was never broken, it would just be 4,000 people passing around the same loaf. Everybody take a whiff as it goes by. Now I'm hungrier. Thank you. Keep going. We have to be broken like Jesus was broken. We have to submit ourselves to whatever it is in us that needs to be broken off or broken in. Blessing and breaking. And saints, I want to encourage you in this place this morning. Whatever he does on the mountaintop, whatever he reveals, 
whether it's at this altar or in your own prayer closet, whether it was 40 years ago in a, in a revival service, whatever, wherever it was, it's possible that you brought the bread with you. But all you can do now is look around and keep comparing what isn't today to what was a generation ago. And I talk to those people too. People all the time, oh, we, we were almost there in worship today, Pastor. <laughs> almost where? Almost back to 1972? I don't want to go back there. I want to go to a new place where maybe the highs aren't quite as high, but that's okay. Because people aren't living paycheck to paycheck anymore. Mm. They're learning how to deposit the wealth of the Spirit yeah. of God, yeah. the wealth of His presence, yeah. the power of moments of intimacy with Him. They're learning how to deposit that in places of interest, in places that bring a return, in places that sustain us through, through times of drought and famine and dearth. That's what I'm after. I don't need gold dust and angel feathers. I don't need to see one more miracle. And that's exactly why I know we will. Hmm. Because we don't need it. What we need is the Lord. Hmm. We don't need to be mad at each other for not bringing yeah. enough bread from the last encounter. What we need is to offer what we do have back to the one who does the blessing and the breaking. What we need is to hold everything within us up before the Lord and say, may it be blessed and broken so that you can accomplish whatever it is that you desire to accomplish so that you can have your reward. Before we go today, I just, I feel like there's a group of people in here and so much of like the apostolic thing that God's doing here, we keep drawing this connection. We keep building this bridge back to um, those moments and those seasons and those times. And it's not because, like I said, it's not because we glory in the past, but it's because the Lord was doing something sometime for a purpose. And so listen to me, if you're in this room this morning, and everything feels like it falls short of that time on the mountain. God moved in your life. God revealed something to you. God showed you something in a revival service, in an encounter with him, on a retreat somewhere in the woods, whatever it was. If that's you in this place and you've been through those seasons, I'm going to ask you for just a minute here. Step out of your seat and meet me down at this altar. If that's you. If you've encountered the Lord, maybe it was in services at Brownsville or maybe it was uh, at Tony Sariva's church 30 years ago. Maybe it was uh, at Community Covenant in Rehoboth. But there were times, there were seasons, there were places where the Lord moved and stirred in you. Maybe he showed you revelation or vision or whatever it was. If that's you, step out of your seat and meet me down here. hard not to compare it's probably nearly come on take a few more steps forward I can't see you if you're back in the aisle it's hard not to compare just ask the old men who stood and watched yes sir 
as a temple was built on yes, the foundations sir. of the old one and the yes, old sir. men who remembered the former glory, they wept because it fell short. It just didn't look like what it used to look like. And for some of you, that encounter, that revelation, those moments, they weren't decades ago. They were a few months ago. And you experienced a radical season of intimacy and proximity with the Lord. And, and, and immediately following that season, the enemy had an assignment for you to bring you down from those heights and into the deepest valley, the deepest, darkest place you've ever been. Back in the struggle, back in the addiction, back in the failure, back in the fear, back in the anxiety, back in the depression. So much so that you wonder if that mountaintop thing even really ever happened to begin with. Oh, it happened. And there's some proof. You may not feel like you have much, but there's a loaf of bread somewhere. There's a doggy bag somewhere. There's something God showed you somewhere in the depths of your soul, and that's all he needs. Do you not remember? Do you not remember how this works? Were your eyes not open when I blessed the bread for the 5,000? Were your ears not listening when I broke it for the 4,000? That's the way this government works. It's never about what God hasn't done yet. It's about what he's already done. He has nothing to prove. It's all already been proven. Not just the big picture, but in your life. In your life. You're here today because he moved you. You've walked in what you've walked in because there's a call, there's a destiny on you. And God's not done with it yet. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the places and the times when we've brought in things from this world. Oh, my marriage wasn't great, and so I brought in some worldly stuff to spice it up a little bit. Or, you know what? I've been dealing with this issue, this addiction, this struggle for so long, and I can't quick kick it, and I can't reconcile it, so what do I do? I let the, the, the religious uh, oppression add to it a little bit of shame, a little bit of guilt. That makes more sense. The legalism that I grew up in, I should feel ashamed of this, right? I should, I should be under this, yeah, I'm a sinner. That makes me feel better when I say that. If I can just keep saying I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, then I can own that. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that works with what's going on in my life. The Bible says you're a saint. Somebody, somebody was visiting the church a while back. And they were really uncomfortable with me calling everybody saints. Because I'll say, like, good morning, saints. You know? They're like, that's weird. Don't call us saints. I had a couple of people say that over the years. You know why? Because we're more comfortable being called sinners. It works. It works. It's an easier bridge to build between all the garbage I still struggle with all the leaven that's in my life. It makes sense. And yet, Jesus says, beware of that. Because that's not what I call you. I call you my bride. I call you something worth dying for. Yeah, yeah. I call you my reward. 
I call you saints. That's who we are in Jesus. That's the government that's on his shoulders. The blessing and the breaking. To this group here at the front and to everybody in this room. Never stray too far from the places where God has shown up to the promises he's made real to you. Never stray too far. Tell the stories often so we don't find ourselves in the same boat, pardon the pun, as the disciples. One loaf of bread and wondering what Jesus can do about it. Never stray too far from the testimonies of the ways that he's moved in your life, the revelation that he's brought, the life that he's given. I remember I was 13 years old when we were traveling down to the Brownsville Revival meetings. And I remember standing in line, getting a sunburn on my pasty white skin. Standing in line for 12 hours, meeting people from all over the world who had come. Because they heard this was a place where they would encounter the Lord. I remember being slain in the spirit on the steps of that altar. I remember feeling the wind of heaven rush through that place. I remember standing in worship services and hearing angels sing, coming from places where there were no speakers. And guess what? It can all just be a flash in the pan that disappears because I'm on to the next valley in my life. God, I've been through 150 valleys since then. Or it can be the sustenance that I bring with me. Say, God, you're just as real today as you ever were. Your promises are just as yes and amen as they ever have yeah. been. Yeah. And I'm going to stand on them today. That's the government that he's called us to. That's the government he carries with him. And if we can stop allowing the world to rob bits and pieces of it until we're blind, and if we can keep the, the religious thing at bay enough to, to, to keep it from adding and, and, and diluting and convoluting and polluting all the truth that's in us because of who he is, guys, we will walk in freedom. And we will store up. And we will carry through whatever high and whatever low is going on a consistency of the promise. So Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the promises that we stand on. And we thank you that the same Jesus that blessed and broke the bread for the 5,000 can do it in a boat of 12. Lord, we thank you that you, you didn't just come to do big, huge, multi-thousand person mountaintop miracles, but that you came to feed us in a boat that you came, God, when, when we forgot to bring food ourselves, God, when we've forgotten to, to bring with us and to cherish and to value those moves of the past, Lord, that you are still doing what you've always been doing. So, Lord, we submit ourselves to heaven's paradigm. Lord, and we reject hell's policy. We adhere to the government of Jesus Christ, to the government of heaven. And Lord, forgive us when we find ourselves in any other courtroom but yours. To know to whom we belong and what it took to pay that price. 
God, I pray over my brothers and sisters at this altar this morning that you would awaken those places, that you would stir up what has settled to the bottom. Lord, the, the glory that, that doesn't go bad, that doesn't expire, God, the, the truth that was shown. Lord, we're not trying to uh, attach ourselves back to the emotional hype and the, and the crazy signs and wonders of yesteryear, Lord. We, we want to hold fast to the glory that was imparted, to the power that was revealed, to the word that was spoken that is more true now than it even was then. Lord, we thank you for your grace in us. Lord, we, we, I pray that you would show us, point out those places where we have brought in the world's government and made it a savior, where we have brought in the religious systems of control, of power, of authority, the things that are not heaven's authority or heaven's order, but we've brought them in in an effort to find order where there wasn't any. God, help us remove these things from our lives. The little bit of leaven, Help us to come back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.